0: Well, good morning to you all. So uh, I've been on my allergy medication for about two weeks already. Normally it's not till the end of March. Anybody else feeling the same way as I am? Uh, And that's crazy. Already seeing a lot of the green uh, pollen on vehicles starting to show up. Went down south this past week uh, to watch my son and, and his team play baseball. And they have so much pollen down in South Carolina right now. The first few hundred feet out into the ocean is yellow. It's crazy uh, how that goes. And so um, if I have to take a drink every occasionally, it's because I'm a little dried out by my uh, medicine. I didn't take the type that'll make me drowsy so I fall asleep on you, so you're safe there. But uh, anyway, regardless, I'm glad you're here. If you're new, my name is Tony. I'm pastor here at LAFC. We welcome you here. Uh, We are in the midst of a series in the book of James. And James is a... What should I say? He's one of those guys that he doesn't withhold the punches. He gets, he's very honest. He's, he's very much to the point, doesn't beat around the bush. But keep in mind, he's writing to a church that's scattered, and he was, I would say, being efficient with his words and uh, helping people not lose what he's primarily trying to say. And I would say that the aim of James is to help this church rediscover like what what it is that looks more like a walking, living, breathing person uh, that is walking with Jesus, what faith looks like. And so we kind of coined this uh, term of this series or this title of the series, uh, give it to me straight because James is just saying, listen, these are all common issues for all of us and we're going to uh, deal with them straightforward We're not gonna be around the bush. And so over the first uh, few weeks, uh, we have been in uh, this first 18 verses, which is all about trials. Um, and so with trials, they can produce a lot of things in us. It can produce maturity or it can produce failure. And so the first week we say, we looked at how we can actually look forward with joy through the trial because we know that God can use it to produce something in us mature, But it's also true that the trials reveal where we're weak and where we need God's help. And that's what God does. He wants to make us stronger. So when we see where we're weak, then we can pray to God and say, God help us in this area of weakness. And sometimes that weakness is doubt. And so we dealt with doubt and looking at how doubt and prayers, uh, where there's hindrance, where there's opportunities. But at the end of the day, when doubt comes, because it often does come in our prayer life, we're to go before God and let him help us with the doubt. And then, just a couple weeks ago, we looked at like how trials are the great equalizer. You see, we can avoid a lot of things in this earth based on the amount of income and wealth we have. Uh, It can provide us a lot of things. It can remove a lot of worries, certainly. But trials, they show no favoritism. They go to all of us, and so, For the poor person, the trials remind them that in God's kingdom, they're on equal footing with everybody else. In fact, they're firstborns of the kingdom of God, so they are heirs, and they're treated with with great opportunity, and so they look forward beyond the trials because their life is one constant trial, being poor, and they know that things will be better in the kingdom of God, so they anticipate that. But for the rich person, and they realize their money can't spare them the trial, it's the reminder that, again, you need God. You need God in your life. And, and, and so God is right there to remind the rich person, yes, you have much, but I have way more of what you need. And so it's about going to God in the midst of these trials That the, the, to us who are rich, which I believe, and I made the case for, is all of us here in America are on the rich side of things in this world that we can be reminded that God is the source and provider for all that we need. And then last week, the flesh side of this, the, the, the nature side of this, is that trials can start creating, what should I say, opportunities for us to want for ourselves. And in those things, it becomes temptations. And temptations can often get the best of us. And then when we get in the midst of those temptations and all the consequences, we do what human beings do. We wanna find blame somewhere. And so we know in this text, James says that that God allows these trials to come and somehow we then begin to say, well then it was God that tempted us since he's the one that allows these trials to come so then it must be God that tempted me. And we learned last week, God is holy. He doesn't do that. That's not where he's at. And we gotta be careful not to, to move blame from off of us and put it upon God. And today, we're going to look at how the flesh, if we know we can't blame God because God is so holy, what's the next thing we can do then to kind of make ourselves feel better? And that is to justify, to justify ourselves, to say that, you know, it's actually a good thing that I did, and that perhaps that was actually as God wanted. We began to redefine truth. And we ultimately then redefine God in order to justify our decisions and the consequences. So that's where we're going to go today. If I've piqued your interest at all, then hopefully with delight, you'll want to open the Word of God. And so I'm going to invite you now to open the Word of God to the book of James. And uh, it, if, while you're opening there, we're going to be in James chapter 1. And by the way, there are Bibles provided if you do not have one with you. Um, I, this past Friday, I went to go see the movie, Jesus Revolution. How many of you have seen that so far? Phenomenal movie. What I loved about it is the hippies, you know, they had all kinds of brokenness going on inside of them. Whenever the speaker would say, okay, let's go to the Bibles, they would all get excited, and they'd hold their Bibles up and say, let's go there. And so, let's go there, right? Oh man, you guys aren't as good as the hippies. All right, so let's go there, James chapter one, and yes, it's true, we now have Bible apps, that didn't happen in the early 1970s, uh, my parents' generation, that came towards the end of my younger years as well, but uh, we're gonna go into James one, we're gonna read verses two and three, and then we're gonna skip to verse 12, so again, we'll do verses two and three and skip to verse 12. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Skipping to verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who have loved him. When tempted... coming down from the father of lights who does not change like the shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Let me pray. God, I just ask now that this word we just read would cause our hearts to not be self-deceiving but open to what is true. And that not only do we see truth for what truth is by the sermon, that we would be willing to yield to it and yield to your lordship in our lives. So do a work that only your Holy Spirit can do. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 16. Don't be deceived. He has just talked about temptations. That temptations, again, that arise out of these trials, most of them have to do with I can do this on my own, I can do it my way, and you know what? The trials are making me feel a little down. Let me do that which will make me feel a little better. Temptations are born out of such circumstances. Then the tendency. Once the consequences start coming in, we want to fix blame elsewhere because we don't like how we feel. We don't like the guilt we, and shame we're experiencing. So it must be somebody else's fault. We couldn't have possibly done that to ourselves. So too, in the same way as, as Joel shared last week about temptations and the fact that, no, there's no way a holy God would ever tempt you in that way. There's another warning from James. It's not just shifting blame that we tend to do when, we're, when we failed against temptation. There's also a tendency to justify. Don't deceive yourselves. So deception happens when the flesh, our nature, seeks to redefine the truth of the circumstances, which ultimately then by doing so, you end up redefining God. Deception happens when your flesh, your nature wants to somehow make you feel right about what you've done and then say, no, it was actually good and God approves. What we have done is we've redefined truth and ultimately redefined God. Let me play this out how this looks. Somebody does something that they just were very driven to do And they are saying it's the right thing to do. And when questioned on it, the response you get is, oh no, I'm at peace with this. I'm at peace with this decision. Insinuating that that peace comes from God because that's a statement of, I'm at peace with it, God's at peace with it, so therefore God has affirmed it. Don't be deceived. You need to be aware that the human nature that we all carry wants to justify ourselves. Nobody wants to see themselves in error. So when you've made an egregious error, we spend a lot of energy making it look okay, making it look right, and even going as far to say, I'm at peace with it. I believe God led me to that place. Blaming a holy God for your temptations is how the flesh works to remove guilt and responsibility. But when blame is not possible, we wanna convince ourselves of God's approval, thus removing the guilt and then projecting upon God that somehow God is growing in his understanding. You hear the subtle progression? That when we realize we can't, blame something else because it's like, no, I made a very clear decision. This was my decision. And then we convince ourselves, no, it was the right decision. And we also want to like, well, we certainly don't want to be in opposition to God. So because we feel it's so right, because we feel it and are convinced it's so right, then we have to then presume that God made it that way. God gave me that peace. God gave me that confidence. God gave me that clarity. And therefore, I am standing where God wants me to be. Even if you know, it doesn't exactly line up with what we read about in the word of God. So therefore, it creates this situation where you have to kind of explain. Well, how is that possible when somebody says, I don't think the Bible says that. Well, the Bible was written several thousand years ago, and things have changed. And it's written in a context of time, and so it doesn't really apply to now. As if to suggest, God is progressively changing. His understanding has grown. Oh, I'm sorry, I never thought of that before. I have created billions of people and I've walked their entire lives and you are the first to ever think that way. Here's the problem about deception. If you begin with the wrong lens of how you see your situation and your life, when you've you've done something you know or you're aligning your life in a path that you know is not aligned with here, If you begin to say, no, this is right and this is good, then you've begun with the wrong lens of how you see your situation and you will not see where the true problem actually lies. You see, that's what happens with deception. It deceives you. It makes you think that which is a lie is actually true or makes that which is true a lie. Deception, by the way, does not like accountability. So when you start asking somebody that has convinced themselves that they are right and they are dogmatic about it, and even though you know it doesn't seem to line up, I mean, there's parts of it that connects to the word of God, but generally speaking, it doesn't align. That person becomes frustrated and agitated. Notice because deception does not like accountability. It wants to diffuse it, it wants to dismiss it, it wants to keep it at a distance because ultimately we don't want an authority figure or something that's an authoritative text over us. We wanna be our own authority to determine what is true and right for us. That's what the flesh does and that is nothing new under the sun. As much as some of us might be frustrated by the current narrative in our, in our media and our culture, you might think this things have never been so bad. I, I'm just gonna tell you, it's been going on a long time. It's just manifesting in new ways with technology and information that we can have constantly at our fingertips. So we get more agitated by what we're seeing over and over but deception does not like accountability. It needs, it does not want an authority. So what we're speaking to is that there's something at the core of a lot of our struggles in our culture and in our country that has to do with what is really the truth. What is really the truth Not just what's your truth and what's my truth, but what is truly true. Verse 17. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Truly saying this, that which is truly good And that which is truly perfect can only come from God. Our natural tendency as human beings is to convince ourselves that we are inherently good all the time. All right? It's very true. That's our nature. We want to see ourselves as good. That's why every person that is buried is always said to be, they were a good person. The reality is, it's true, there is goodness that can be found in each person, but it's also true that there can be immorality and sin in each person. That which is truly perfect can only be found in one source, God. Your flesh would like to convince you that goodness can come from a different place from a different path as God has outlined in his word. So why is this an important statement here? Let me just speak to and give an example. When people begin to study about all the good things that can happen from various religions, they start coming to a place where they would say, you know, for me, I've chosen Jesus. I've chosen the Bible, it's a, it's, it's a good path for me, it, it's where I'm gonna stand. Good for you that you've chosen Buddha or Muhammad and that there are good things that can be found there. So what we're in essence saying is that there are multiple paths of goodness and perfection that will appease God. God. Jesus said something pretty profound in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the and the, and no one can come to the Father except through. Hmm. Sounds pretty exclusive, doesn't it? It sounds very exclusive when you hear that Jesus with his own mouth saying, "Okay, I am the way, the truth, and the life. There isn't any other way. There isn't some alternative truth, and there isn't another place you can find life." It's exclusive. Only that which is true and perfect comes from God. The flesh would like to convince you there are flaws or outdated profiles of holiness found in this Bible. We know that it was written over a span of centuries. We know it's also been 2,000 years since it was pretty much concluded. So, My question then becomes, is this book that we know as the Bible, the Word of God, an outdated understanding of God, and man still needs to grow in his understanding of God? Or do we look at this Word as God helping man understand, in midst of all of their shifting shadows, understand who he is? See, the flesh wants to convince you there are multiple paths to truth. There are multiple paths to God. There are multiple paths to find life. So we can just be an affirming people and a person where we just affirm, well, that's a great path. Great way to go. I've chosen a different path. The problem is, what if when you look at their path, when they say it and you realize that path is empty. It's gonna lead to destruction. It's gonna lead to self-implosion. There's no life in it. There's no truth in it. So can you truly say there are multiple paths, multiple goodnesses, multiple perfections that can be found in different sources other than God? The only the truth and the only perfect place to find truth written here on this earth is in the scripture. I received a few emails over the last few weeks from different ones of you saying it is that you love how you hear just incredible consistency from all of our preachers that preach here at LEFC, which we use 10 different people, by the way, You'll notice that we're of all different ways of communicating. You'll notice that some of us are tall and wear plaid and some of us are short and don't wear plaid. (laughs) Hi, Joel. (laughs) But let me tell you, we're not without personalities. We're not without opinions. We're not without differences of perspectives. But if we all align ourselves to an authority that's beyond ourselves, you're gonna find that there's unity in what we're communicating. I am not the authority of truth in this church, nor is any of our 10 preachers, nor any of our 12 elders, not any of our gifted teachers and communicators that that you might experience throughout our church, none of them are the authority of truth. The living word manifested in Jesus, the written word written by the Holy Spirit through many different human authors is the authority by which we can understand and know God and know who we are as fallen human beings, and know that that same God desires to reconcile us all back to him by the work of his son, Jesus Christ. That's why there's unity in what we communicate in spite of being different people. Truly good and perfect things can only come from God but the last part of verse 17 says something else that is really important to not lose. So not every good and perfect gift comes from above, down from the Father of heavenly lights, who is the one who does not change like shifting shadows. He does not change like shifting shadows. (sighs) Which leads me to say this. God does not change. Please hear me. God does not change in his holiness or in what he considers holy on this earth. That which is holy is God. So, therefore, what he considers holy and not holy here on this earth is also defined by him. It has never changed. He is consistent. With who he is. This idea that somehow the God of the Old Testament and the God of the Gospels and the God of the epistles of Paul and Peter and John somehow is a revolution or an evolution of God is a misunderstanding of God. God has never changed in his holiness nor is he considered anything different by what he sees here on this earth, as if all of a sudden God became enlightened. If he called something out as evil in the Old Testament, it is still evil all these thousands of years later. The difference is now, is that with the message of that which is evil and that which is holy, that message only condemns but when you bring in what god did in light of that his justice demanded payment but his grace and his mercy comes in with his son jesus but that jesus is also part of the triune god is the same yesterday today and forever hebrews 13:8 he is the same yesterday today and forever so jesus who is compassionate to the person who is the worst of society. The two most uh, reviled people upon the earth in Israel was the tax collector and the prostitute. And yet Jesus was not ashamed to do dinner with them because he was about changing lives. He didn't withhold the truth from them. No, I th- in fact, I think that's what was appealing to them. Keep in mind the one woman who was not exactly of high reputation. What was she excited about in John chapter 4 when she went back to tell her village? Come here, a man that told me everything I ever did. The audience was like, Well, that must have taken a while. And yet she was delightful in sharing that because she then said, Could this be? the Messiah the Christ the one that God said would come he didn't withhold the truth from her but he offered living water to change her nature continuing on verse 18 So not only does God not change like shifting shadows where we try to make them into something different. Jesus, knowing that we're easy to being deceived, says this. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits of all he created. Because we are corrupt in our flesh, Jesus knew that we need to be born again by the truth. A complete makeover, a complete transformation because our nature, what does our nature wanna do? It wants to blame. What does our nature wanna do? It wants to justify. It wants to say that because I feel right, because I feel convicted that this is exactly what I should be doing. Even if it doesn't align here, we say, then it must be from God, and therefore we're justified. Jesus said to Nicodemus, who knew everything about the scriptures, and he says, Nicodemus, you've got to be born again. You can't just know about it. You've got to be born anew, because this flesh, that's what's going to kill you. What I offer is going to save you. We've got to be born again by the living word. It says again, so he's going to give us birth through the word of truth. Jesus is the living word, John 1, chapter, chapter 1, verses 1 to 5. And then Jesus is that truth as well. We've already heard from John fourteen six, that he is the way, the truth, and the life. We need a complete transformation a complete makeover because what's our nature will deceive us into thinking we are okay as we are. And as much as you might feel good about you, you are not okay as you are without the work of Jesus changing you anew. To declare your truth As being true because you feel it's true tells me you're already deceived. It proves that deception has already entered in. If you're saying, I believe this to be true, I have peace about it, I'm okay with my decision, I have peace. And therefore, I believe God has given me that peace. Therefore, God has justified. And meanwhile, the listener is hearing it's like, but that isn't how God says it here. person will push away. He's like, no, I think we have a bad understanding of God. As if that's just a quick dismissal. I think we have a bad understanding of God. I feel right. And I feel peace that I'm right. Therefore, God has changed and accepted my truth as truth. If you've ever experienced that in your own life where you have begun to call that which was evil, true, you know that you were deceived. I mean, think about it. Think about a time, if you're, just for a second, I wanna talk to those who've been followers of Jesus for a long time think back to a time when you were not walking with Jesus well wasn't it true that at those times when you weren't walking with Jesus very well that you were convinced you were still okay were you not convinced that some of the decisions you were making God was okay with but now you stand here in this time and you look back and say yeah i was confused I was lying to myself. As soon as you start saying, this is my truth, you can have your truth, but this is my truth. We're already trying to make truth out to be something we can shape into our wanting. The truth of how you feel and how you think is biblically good to confess. I'm actually okay with people saying, this is what I think. This is what I believe. This is what I believe to be true. I recognize that, and I'm okay with them saying to me that I feel peace about it. But are they willing to allow questions of accountability into that? That's where the scriptures began to stand out. See, the truth of how you feel and how you think is good to confess, but feelings should always come under the accountability of truth to find a true place to stand in strength. Because feelings are powerful and they're convincing, but rarely are feelings completely accurate. Think about some of the most intense times of feelings. I am gonna marry that person only to find out like two weeks later, I wouldn't wanna live with that person a day. I wanna do this with my life only to find out some other truth about this like, yeah, I don't think I could do that for a long time. Feelings can misguide us. They are convincing, but they must come under the accountability of truth to find out what is true. I want to tell a quick story about a friend of mine that was pretty convinced that he was walking in truth. At the time, he didn't know about the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't know anything about scripture. What he knew was, at a young age of 14, his brother, older brother, two or three years older than him, convinced him to have sex with him. Told him this was normal and natural, that this was a bond that was gonna be between two brothers to make their relationship special as compared to any other. This began Multiple years of an intimate relation between these two brothers. This man that I'm talking of is a friend of mine. He went into college, into his adulthood, thinking this was the truth. He became convinced this is good, this is something I can be at peace with, this is who I am. Meanwhile, Deep inside, he felt incredibly broken. And he even felt guilt and shame, to which he was told by others, well, that's just those preachers out there making you feel guilty and full of shame. But he had never been exposed to any preachers. He'd been told the truth was that this is healthy and good, that he was in this lifestyle, not knowing that the foundation of it began between a brother and a brother. He had been told and convinced that everything he had experienced is all good. Is anybody here willing to call that truth? That that is good and healthy and constructive? No. But it became his lens by how he looked at truth. And so it became his reality, but it was built on a false premise that this is healthy and good. Somewhere towards the end of his college years, somebody shared the gospel with him about Jesus. And he gave his life to Christ. And a couple years later is when I intersect with this man's life. By this time, he had been discipled. He had been reading scriptures. He had been learning a lot of things. And he had just begun to share about what his life had been like with a trusted few group of few men you can imagine what it must have been like for him to share what his relationship had been with his brother i came onto the scene when all that confession had already happened and now he's being remade into something very different as the word of god became more permeable inside of his life then he began to want things differently So he asked this group of guys, of which I was one. He says, I know what I know now is true. But I need God to do a miracle in my life and actually cause me to be attracted to women. So could you guys pray for me that I become attracted to women? I have to be honest, I'm 21 years old I've never been asked such a prayer request before. But we knew that this was something that was deep on his heart, so we began to pray. God, would you help this friend of ours become attracted to women, per his request. We were just in keeping walking in with Jesus. We weren't trying to let Jesus do all the changes, but this became his desire. So we prayed for that. Not too long after that prayer, At a youth event, of which all of us guys were leaders at the time, volunteer leaders, at this youth event, I remember my friend coming up to a group of us with this face like excited to tell us something. He goes, guys, you're not gonna believe this. Yesterday, I saw this woman and she was hot. (laughs) Answer prayer, thank you Jesus. And I remember all of us guys being like kind of awkwardly excited for him. <laughs> Some time went by, not, not, not much time, like a week or so. We're again gathered, studying the word of God and we're sharing prayer requests. And our friend says, you know what? I'm so grateful that God changed what I'm attracted to. And he began to sob. Sob. And he said, what woman would ever want me? What woman would ever want me with all that's happened to me? And so he says, would you pray that some woman someday would ever be willing to marry me? So we pray. And little did we know that one of our coworkers on that volunteer youth staff would become his wife. He is a pastor now has been serving in ministry for years, walking faithfully with God, and has several children. That's what Jesus can do when he makes somebody new. He bursts them anew so that whatever lie they've been chasing, there are many lies out there. I've just told one story. There are many lies out there that we convince ourselves is truth, Let God do the work and continue to speak truth into them lovingly and caring and God can make somebody completely new and different. We deceive ourselves into thinking that we're just fine with where we're at There's a lot of things and sins in our lives or paths we've taken that we've said, oh, I believe God wants me here. Really? Have you ever tested that? Is this really where God wants you to walk? Or have you just redefined God into your image, into your likeness, and you've left the truth for a lie? So how do we defeat Deception, self-deception. I think we have to go before God and say, God, where have I allowed trials and doubts to redefine truth and redefine you? And be sincere with that prayer. God, where have I allowed trials or doubts or sins or actions on my part to redefine that which is true and ultimately redefine you? And if God reveals something in you, then I would say the next important thing, to verify that it's not feeling, but fact, is go to the word of God and test and confirm that which is true. With Google, there is so much you can find so quickly. You can Google a question and just write Bible at the end of it. And it guides you to scriptures. It can test some of the things that are found in, that might be found in your life that you need to have scripture spoken into your life. And then what I would recommend is don't just read the single verse they offer, read the context so that you get it right. Read the verses around it. So ask God, where have I established a lie and called it truth? And then let the word of God speak truth into that situation. And then thirdly, confess where you've been wrong. Confess where you've been wrong and then repent by applying the truth to that area of your life. God is in the work of transforming people, imperfect people, sinful people, That's why we are not going to check at the door what type of people come in this room. We didn't identify you when you walked in this room by the sin that you carry. That's what I loved about Jesus' revolution. The hippies were kept outside the church. It wasn't until they were invited in that God began the big work that that became the Jesus movement. Would we be okay of inviting those who might be out proclaiming some sort of pride that we know is not the truth would it be okay if we invited them into our church to begin to teach them anew what God might speak to them to show that Jesus didn't just come for the healthy he came for those who were sick and hurting and knew they were lost And do you really see yourself for where you're at? Or have you justified a lot in your life and said, oh, I have peace and you've never really checked it with God if that peace comes from him? Let's pray. God, use this time now to reveal to our hearts any areas of our life where we've justified a lie. We've tried to redefine you. And as a result, our life is on a fast-paced course towards a place of destruction, self-implosion, because we bought a lie. Confront those things in us Bring scripture out to reveal with complete enlightenment that which is upon your heart. I'm thankful that you do not shift like the shadows, that you are rock solid, that we can trust that your nature is not changing because we are in need of something that's that, that firm. We need something to hold on to. Thank you, Jesus for birthing us anew when we cry out to you and making us a different person so that we don't continue to live according to the flesh, which deceives us, but rather according to the spirit, which relieves us and gives us freedom. So Lord, do your work now, I pray. In Jesus' name.
1: Let's stand in response to our God. Let's pray this.
0: So as I shared out of verse 18, that God desires to birth us anew, to give us a new nature by where we can live with freedom and truth and find the true life that Jesus talks about when he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. But that comes through being born again. That means that we acknowledge that our nature is sinful. It is worthy of God's punishment, but then God provides a way for that punishment to be paid for as through his son, Jesus. All we do is by faith accept the gift of that work that Jesus did on the cross as payment for us and then give him your life and let him be Lord of you on a daily basis and he will make you new. This is the invitation to all of you that have not had that personal relationship with Jesus. For those of you that have known Jesus a long time. James gave it to us pretty straight. Don't pursue the counterfeit. Truth is truth. Don't take the word of God and somehow change it that it's it's now antiquated or not appropriate or not understanding of today's means. These things that we are all dealing with were true then and happening then as they are now. The word of God is timeless. And God's nature and holiness has not changed. We need to go to God with the right lens, lest we convince ourselves and deceive ourselves into believing a lie. And by living out the truth, then it says in verse 18 that when we're washed anew and birthed anew, we become the first fruits of a work among God, among other people. So he uses you to become the first of fruit among your relational world, your sphere of influence, or the Greek term oikos. In that realm, you can become the first fruits of God's work in birthing people anew when people begin to see God transforming you. So may that be the testimony of our lives where truth can be found. Amen? We're gonna close this service by singing the first verse and chorus of a hymn you will all know. So would you join now in singing it together?
2: Sing, My Hope is Built. My
1: hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest fame, but hold Jesus' name On Christ the Son One more reminder, we'll be having some baptisms, about 15 minutes. We would love to have you a part of that. Church, go in peace, standing on the word of God this week.